So we're, we're looking in the book of Acts, and uh, in chapter order, chronologically, working through sermons and speeches. And today's selection is in the third chapter of Acts, and we're still with Peter, uh, as we will be for a couple more weeks and a few more chapters in, in Acts. Uh, and looking at one of his sermons in Jerusalem, so to a Jewish audience. And, and if you remember back at the beginning of Acts, it sort of gives an outline of what the church is going to to do what the church, how the church is going to expand. So we're still in that first step, essentially, of going to Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then uh, other parts of the world. But in in Acts three of the uh, sermon follows the the first 11 verses, which is a, a miracle of, of Peter and John. And as I was reading it, I remembered, I think from Sunday school, uh, and, and perhaps you can quote as well, what's Peter's statement to the uh, crippled man in the King James Version? I, I just, it stuck with me a lot more than how it reads here in verse six. six, three, six. In the King James, I think it says, silver and gold have I none. Oh, yes, yes. But such as I have, I give to thee. That's right. Which, uh, oh, yeah, that's powerful. Is is more quotable than uh, this. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Yeah. I I always, for some reason, I thought that was interesting. An interesting phrasing: silver and gold have I none. So we're in the temple courts, and uh, <clears throat> apparently the believers, the, the new Christians, uh, those that were baptized at the end of chapter 2, are meeting together and, and there in the, in the uh, temple courts. Uh, even describes it as Solomon's porch, Solomon's portico, which is sort of out on the front uh, in, in an area where men and women could uh, come together. Not, uh, no Gentiles, but uh, inside of that fence. 
But let me just start by reading. So third chapter, uh, the sermon starts in verse 12, and then I'll actually start in verse 11, which I think is a, is a, uh, a great picture. You can sort of imagine. Uh, verse 11 says, while he, he being the, the man who had been healed and was obviously uh, delighted, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So, just trying to picture this, I mean, I think we use this metaphor sometimes that, that uh, someone is a hanger on, is close to, uh, perhaps tries to be close to a musician or close to someone else. But I guess I'm sort of picturing this guy up there clinging to Peter and John, you know, holding on to their sleeve or, or whatever, just wanting, wanting to be close. But uh, as, as you like uh, with, with that. Uh, so then starting with verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ 
appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Two or three things that I'd like to sort of point out and, and talk about for a few minutes and then please if you've got a question or a comment interrupt or we, we'll take plenty of time for that as we work our way through one of the things is through the book of Acts one of the things I want to do is sort of compare sermons and What Peter says he is doing here, to start with, is explaining to them how this man was healed, explaining the miracle. We look back at the second chapter, what did Peter start out in that sermon doing? Same thing, explaining the miracle that they had witnessed. In that case, it was the coming of the Spirit. But, uh, and he used a quotation from Joel to, to explain to them, you know, you should understand. Here's, here's what Joel said. This is what he said. Here he's, he's uh, saying, you know, this man that you knew and that <laughs> apparently was standing there clinging to, to Peter, you know, perhaps he was still there uh, up in the front wanting to be close to, to Peter and John. Um, the, the group was together, but again, Peter seems to be the spokesperson. <clears throat> Peter is the one who is, is uh, doing the preaching, at least as recorded here in Acts. 
And, as in the previous sermon, Peter is using scripture that they were familiar with to make the point that he, that he wanted to make. Uh, very early here in verse uh, 13, he said, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over. Anybody recognize that language? Glorified his servant, whom you delivered over. It's not a direct quotation, but it certainly sounds just like Isaiah 53. Yeah. So he's, he's using language that, that they would have uh, noted. Um, one other thing I wanted to point out in verse 15 at the end of the verse he says uh, he's, he's talking about the resurrection talking about what happened to Jesus and culminating in the resurrection and he says to this we are witnesses if I'm keeping count, I think already in the third chapter, this is the third time, and someone I was reading had kept a, a complete count, and in the book of Acts, this is the third of 11 times that the apostles uh, refer to themselves as witnesses. Uh, so, being witnesses to the resurrection apparently was a big deal. That, that it was something that, that they used uh, as, a, as a hook for their uh, beliefs. So, don't know when Peter says, to this we are witnesses, whether He's talking about himself and John, who may have been standing there, or he's talking about himself and a whole group of disciples, or uh, you know, some later on Paul says he appeared to up to 500 people. Uh, if we go back to the first chapter of Acts, there was what 120 or so men and women together. So. The we could be any of those, those uh, combinations, but uh, we'll we'll see this continue to come up as we go through the the, the sermons in the Book of Acts. Leland, I was trying to visualize this going on, and I know you can help on this. You've been there when when it said. The east gate, is that the east gate of the city or of the temple? I thought it said east gate somewhere. Is that back earlier in um, verse 2, it says temple gate. So I. To the temple. I thought I saw, or maybe I read somewhere else. That, that, 
Yeah, mentions the beautiful gate. So, I think they're talking about the they're inside the city. So they're talking about the temple and being around the gates of the temple. Solomon's porch was a portion on the east side of the temple. So uh -huh. it, the east side, the temple faced east. So it's, it's out in front. Uh, there were a number of porticos and gates and areas. So there would have been, uh, I know it says brothers, but I'm sure that probably men and women. Men and women. And, and approximately, you know, wonder how many, it's a day, a time of prayer, one of the periods of prayer, I think, in the afternoon. Well, I, I just wondered, you know, how many maybe would have been there. Yeah, me too. Um, if, if we go into the fourth chapter, which is the same story, um, it says, you know, just reading on in the fourth chapter, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000 so um, I mean, I guess I would read the number of men perhaps to be saying the number of people, uh, or perhaps it's only counting the males of the group. But in any case, you've got 5,000 new believers. So the group that was there had to have been, I would say, considerably bigger than 5,000. It's a, it's a big area that, you know, of course, these days the, the temple is no longer there. The, the, the temple mount that, that Herod had expanded and built in uh, the first century B.C., so almost 100 years earlier than this. I don't know what that is in acreage. It's a big place. And about 15. 15 acres. And now there is a, uh, an Islamic shrine and a mosque there. But they still do outdoor prayers, and there's even lines in the ground for people to line up to get organized. And I forget how many people, like for Ramadan or? Well, 
Jerusalem. In, in, in that in that Temple Mount. But Jerusalem only had a population of about 16,000. 16, People in the in the whole whole city. Yeah. But during feast days, the crowds was some people thought as low as a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand people would show up on the Temple Mount yeah. at that particular point in time. So, if we're talking about five thousand, and let's say uh, children and women, to say it's triple that's fifteen thousand. So this must have been because that would have been the whole population of Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Chances are this was a uh, uh, this was a, a, a feast day or celebration day. Now you're talking about the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate uh, is no longer there. Uh, it would be to to the north. The gate that you're speaking of that is closed up now was that the gate that Jeru uh, one of the gates mentioned that Jeru uh, Jesus. It's the one that's been walled over now. But on the see, east side. It's on the east. Yeah. And uh, so it faces the Mount of Olives. And so you got to remember there is a, uh, a mount, the Mount of Olives. And when I say it's a mount, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real mount. And, and it goes straight up, almost straight up then down into that valley, then back up to that gate. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're visualizing. Mm -hmm. Can we help you, Ralph? Yeah. It, a lot of people. Yeah, and it, it's a time of prayer, so, but it wasn't a special, was it a special day? Because those, I know, people from out, outside would come into the, to Jerusalem. Yes. But, but this was just a time of prayer, I thought. Well, on that day, it was a time of prayer. But whether there was something else going on that brought additional people into the city, yeah. we don't know. Uh, um, refresh uh, our memories about how long are we post-crucifixion? Uh, that's an easy question. I don't know. Um, and, and at least fifty days. Yeah. 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 I but mean, that we're, recently. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're we're. Um, Pentecost is fifty days. After Passover. And so tomorrow, no, not tomorrow. Tuesday is the Day of Atonement. Yeah. That's that's what's going on tomorrow on Tuesday, and that's another big. Good spiritual Jews were required to visit Jerusalem three times a year if, if you were really devout. And if you were, yeah, that they were there. So it, 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 it could have been it's coming up Tuesday. If we, could, if we do the math, you got 5,000, there's only 15,000 people in the whole city of Jerusalem, maybe 20. Yeah. Tom Wright says the way to look at this is Israel had a very large temple 
complex with a town around it. It's not the other way around. It's not a city that had a temple in it. It's a temple that had a city as a suburb. It's, it, yeah. It, the, the temple complex, uh, particularly the one that Herod had built, was was big. Question. So this is the area that is around the temple. Well like the courtyard that's around the temple, not inside the the temple. No, there, you, okay. yeah. you you'll see the temple. There's a portico that goes all uh, in, yeah. in, in those days there was a portico that went across the east side columns and, and then there's one on the south side and there's one on the north side. There wasn't any room on the uh, So, okay, this is east and, and this is what Steve was talking about, Mount of Olives and stuff is this direction. So if we've got the temple, Holy of, Hol Holy of Holies and Holy Place and there was a in in Herod's time there was a wall around it and a wall here with gates and so only the priests could go through here. Was that the short wall that they were talking about? No. The the wall yeah you know, we were listening to yesterday that kept the Gentiles out, that wall is out here. There's a sign that says, uh, if you are, uh, well, not, I don't exactly how it goes, if you're not a, 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 a Jew, you enter with, uh, with the threat of your life. Or you take yeah. Now that didn't happen. In, into here. So this is, this is Jews only. In, so Gentiles could be out here, up on the Temple Mount, in this 15 acres or whatever, but they could not cross here. And then there's there's some rooms and things and porticos in, in here. There's the, the treasury, I think, was one of the rooms and things. And Solomon's porch my understanding is it was somewhere out in here. If you did that to scale, you would have that whole blackboard would be inside the map. That oh, would be the, the temple the, mount. Yeah. To, so to scale gets, the scale would be uh, the the temple mount would be you know well, like it, the wall. If, if, you, if you took that uh, whiteboard right there. Yeah. And the gate is gate uh, the uh, eastern gate would be where that erasure Right. You came in here and you walked up yeah. inside stairs. You can still walk down those steps. There's no, you can't go through the gate. Yeah. The portico would extend all the way from the whiteboard all the way to right across there. And, and then there would be another portico all the way down on the, uh, on the that would be the south side? South side. 
another portico. There's not enough room to put a portico from from the wall from the uh, western wall over to the A half a million is bigger than estimates that I would think is that could be really possible. But but it it's a, a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And and even now for Ramadan, when they do prayers up there, they've got lines on the pavement to line up for prayers. To squeeze people in. Well, wait, and, and they put they Ramadan, put. You have a hundred two. You only have two hundred thousand people up there. Up on the up on the Temple Mount. Yeah. <laughs> they squeeze them in. But there wouldn't have been any Gentiles unless they would have been converts. But that's why we couldn't hear that's that. That's right. Because we're talking. I mean, we're we're talking a matter of a few weeks after the crucifixion. That's my guess. Yeah, yeah. Back that to your reason. back to your question That's about it. timeline. It it it's not clear. It just says, and, and I was trying a few moments ago to find the. Uh, yeah, I thought there was a passive that, reference to to, it, to uh, well, yeah, I there is somewhere, but it's it's a really vague, you know, in those days or something. So it, it's. Uh, within, as I think Randy said, within a few weeks of, of Pentecost, which was 50 days after Passover. So, so that's seven weeks after uh, the crucifixion. But, uh, the other thing that, that I wanted to <clears throat> probe related to the prior sermon too uh, from the second chapter is that I mean th th this is a Jewish audience right this I mean is, it's not a pagan I mean we'll get to the pagans later but this is not a pagan audience right that's right yeah he's he's quoting scripture he's at the temple or close to and and I think verse 25 is is chapter three is Peter connecting with his audience? I mean, he's he's trying. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. So you know, you're you're the you're the children of Abraham. I mean, he's also saying you should have known. Well, you know. Not what's striking in this passage. He's not above above using guilt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was thinking about the, the corrupt generation comment. Right. And, and this, 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 he gives them an, an out if uh, towards the end. Well, but he said, you know, this is this is your doing. And uh, well, I like the progression of it. the 
And then first sermon too, there's a fearlessness. I mean, he's not holding back. You did this, you killed, you did this. But then he has this nice thing, but you did it in ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. And then he turns it around at the end to say, and the hope is through you. I mean, it's a pretty masterful job. Yeah. But that comment about ignorance is just really curious to me, and I don't have anything to say about it. I hope you're nodding. Maybe you have something to say. No, no, I thought the same thing. I, yeah. I noticed that he yeah. is incredibly convicting, using scripture and his experience, a good preacher would do that, and he hits him, you know, between the eyes, and then he says, well, but you did in ignorance, and so did your rulers, which yeah. is, but that's what strikes me as odd, is like, wow, um, you know, in other places you can say, no, you knew this, and what was going on. And I guess what I'm wondering is, you did this in ignorance, is that a criticism? You know, in other words, Come on, guys. You've studied the Torah. You've studied the scriptures all your lives, and you didn't know. You were ignorant. You know. And so, is that a criticism of them, or is it a an excuse? <clears throat> I want to know if it's a comment about how a lot of us can know something. But then when we're confronted with the reality of it, we don't make the connection. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like they've always heard this, but when it was actually happening, they didn't recognize it. Yeah. I think that's uh, convicting to all of us, you know. Mm -hmm. These people, you got to remember, when they killed Jesus, they thought they were doing the right thing. So that's the reason we have to be very careful about uh, uh, recognizing what what's going on with us because these people they they, they they were the rulers were sure they were doing the right thing this guy's blasphemy and, and, and in their mind i'm just saying we have to be careful because we can justify our own actions mm -hmm. sometimes when we, we put back yeah. yeah you're right in that same well not the one about ignorance but up in verse 13 where he's talking about um, you delivered him over Luke there's a lot of study about how Luke is using the interactions with the Roman government uh, in a positive way and, and here is the I think the first one where he says um, you denied him in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So the, the Roman government didn't have a problem with, with Jesus, but, but you did. And, and we'll see more later in, in sermons and acts of, of um, the Roman government being portrayed relatively positively. Yeah, d disowned him. Uh, I mean, is that to say that not only did you not believe he was who he said he was, but you, you just uh, didn't even include him as one of us. You know, didn't even, 
Oh, it's, he's not even one of us. Even if he's not the Messiah, he's not even one of us. From a rhetorical standpoint, Peter is still trying to establish credibility. Mm -hmm. That was the first thing he had to do in Acts 2. It's like, yeah. you're drunk. It's like, no, we're not drunk. Mm -hmm. And so he has to establish credibility. This person's just healed, and they're like, this is an ordinary person. How did they heal this person? Mm -hmm. But again, he's having to establish credibility throughout all that he says. He's still trying to establish that they are credible, but uh, it's God that's the reason. As he says, we're not ungodly. We couldn't do this if we were uh, you know, ungodly people. We'd have to be of that. But he keeps building on it. He also knows that he's got a split crowd because it was the Sadducees that grabbed him in chapter 4 because he starts talking about the resurrection of the dead, which they do not believe in. And so they're going to be upset. But he's continuing on that one. And then again in four, when they're before him, this is the, the Sanhedrin says these are not educated men, yet they speak with great authority. So again, their problem is establishing credibility. And he is. He's going to have to continue to refute what happened. But I, I agree. Some of it is, is that, yes, it is on us. But yes, you were misled a little bit by your leaders because they couldn't see it themselves, so how could you see it? And you're not the ones that are versed in the scriptures all day, every day. So it's like, yeah, you still have responsibility, but not as much maybe as your leaders do. But still, he's having to establish credibility throughout the whole thing. That's his whole thing he has to continue to do throughout all these first chapters is establish credibility. Yes? and uh, should have been able to recognize him. But one of the big complaints through the Old Testament was they were ignorant. They did not study. They evidently had gone through a period of time where the, the, the word, they didn't know what was in the Torah. Yeah. So in, in, yes, they should have known, but maybe they didn't know. Or at least some of them. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for your participation. We've, we've got about one minute left. Um, I guess the only other thing I had written down in the margins or whatever <coughs> here was, as well as alluding to Isaiah 53 in verses 22, he actually quotes from, from Deuteronomy 18. Um, with, from Moses uh, uh, saying the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me so um, Peter as you say is, is establishing the credibility of himself as well as what has happened but mostly based on scripture uh, I think we need to be very careful
there and see what it says right there. That's you. And, that, and, and, and so we need to get rid of these people. So I, I'm tr a little bit troubled by that. And I say as, as a cautionary tale to all of us, let's be very careful when we read the scriptures, making sure that we're keeping things, understanding what God is really trying to say. Thank you. Thank you. Next week, we go into chapter 4, and, and Peter has just been arrested, and, then, and there's a bit of a defense, and then I think the outline actually says we'll look at the defense and a little prayer meeting that occurs after his, his release. So we'll see you then.